Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. Did you know that there was this atonement ritual in the Old Testament? This ritual was to fight off death, battle those things that decay. And you may wonder, what does this have to do with us? Even though Christ has conquered death, we still face it on a daily basis. You're listening to The Red Heifer by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading tonight is from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 19. I will eventually uh, read the whole part of that, the whole of that chapter. And let me say before I begin that this, this if you were here last week, this sermon will feel like maybe a mini-series. Uh, last week, we talked about um, a, 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 one of those strange rituals in the Old Testament, and we did a deep dive in one of those strange Old Testament rituals. Last week, it was the scapegoat. And this week, we're going to take another deep dive into one of those rituals, the, the ritual of the red heifer. And these are both texts that, that people don't know very well. I'm willing to guess that there are those here who had no idea that there was such a thing as the ceremony of the red heifer. These are, these are sort of texts that end up in the attic, the dusty attic of Scripture, and, and are seldom taken down. Um, but when you do take them down, and when you're willing to spend time with them, uh, there's reward to be had. Um, there are things to learn about ourselves and our God, and they're more relevant than you think they are. But you have to go deep, and you have to, you have to do the work. You are evening service people. You are willing to do the work. So let's do the work. Numbers 19. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish, and that has never been put under a yoke. Give it to Eliezer, the priest, that's Aaron's son. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eliezer, the priest, is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tent of meeting. While he watches... The heifer is to be burned, its hide, its flesh, its blood, its intestines. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool, and throw them on to the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean until the evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water. He too will be ceremonially unclean until evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community to be used as the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean until evening, and this will be a lasting ordinance for both the Israelites and the foreigners residing among them. And now the application of this heifer ash. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves in the third and seventh days, they will not be clean. And if they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. And they must be cut off from Israel because 
The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them, and they're unclean, and their uncleanness remains on them. This is a law that also applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters a tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. And every container, open container, without a lid fastened on it, will also be unclean. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who's been killed with a sword or someone who's died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. For the unclean person, put some of the ashes from the burned purification offering from the red heifer into a jar and pour fresh water over them. And the man who is ceremonially, then a man who is ceremonially clean, take some hyssop, dip it in the water and sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings and all the people who were there. He must also sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or anyone who has been killed or anyone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle those who are unclean on the third and seventh days, and on the seventh day he is to purify them. Those who are being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and that evening they'll be clean. But if those who are unclean do not purify themselves, they must be cut off from the community because they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them, and they are unclean. This is a lasting ordinance for them. The man who sprinkles the water of cleansing must also wash his clothes, and anyone who touches the water of cleansing will be unclean until evening. Anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean until evening. This too is the word of the Lord. Last week as we reflected on the ceremony of the scapegoat, we speculated, I think fairly accurately speculated, that people who read the, the atonement ceremony, as it's described in Leviticus 16, if they're modern secular people who read it, would react to it and say, this is barbaric. This is primitive stuff, and it has nothing to do with us. It is completely old-fashioned and ancient, and we are modern people. I'm pretty sure they would say the same thing about the ceremony of the red heifer. All this ashes and sprinkling and cleansing, that's primitive nonsense, a secular person would say. And for modern people, and even for us, this ceremony is doubly strange because it involves uh, not so much the issue of sin and guilt as the issue of ritual uncleanliness. It enters into this whole world of being ritually unclean, which is very strange to us. We know it's in the Old Testament, but it's strange to us. In, in the Old Testament, there were all sorts of things that you could touch that would contaminate you. Skin diseases made you unclean. Certain kinds of decaying molds made you unclean. Certain kinds of bodily emissions made you unclean. Touching a dead animal made you unclean. And touching a dead body made you really, really unclean. A dead body was so potent, so powerful in making you unclean that if, if someone died in a tent, you didn't even have to touch the dead body. Everything in the tent was contaminated. Now, this idea of contamination that needs a ceremonial cleaning is so far from what we experience today. Again, modern people would say, 
that has nothing to do with us. We are so far beyond that. Well, just as we saw last week, I'm not so sure that's true. Let's look at this text deeply and, and see why I say that. Let's look at the ceremony briefly to provide Israel with a way of being ritually clean when it was contaminated. God institutes the ceremony of the red heifer. They need to find a red heifer, which is a rare animal, not very common, a red-colored heifer that has never been used, never been worked, and the priest is to kill that heifer, take some of the blood, first sprinkle it towards the tabernacle, showing that this is a ritual that is connected to God and his power. After that sprinkling, the priest is to burn the heifer, and not just burn it, but incinerate it, cremate it. And while it's being cremated and turned into ash, some hyssop, some scarlet thread, and some red cedar are thrown in the pile and mixed in with the ashes. So you get this whole pile of ashes. Those are put in a container, and someone who is ritually clean takes that container and puts it in a clean place. And from then on, if someone gets unclean, they can go to the priest. The priest takes a little living water, which is spring water instead of stagnant water, mix it with their heifer ash, sprinkle it on the person. They could do it on the third day, and they do it again on the seventh day. Person go home and washes, and they're clean. That's the ritual. Let me say three things about this ritual. First, notice all the red. The heifer is red and must be very red. I was reading this week, and there were some rabbis, some very strict rabbis, who said even two black hairs on the heifer were enough to disqualify it. It had to be completely red. So the heifer is red, and then what's put in with the heifer? Red thread, scarlet thread, and red cedar. As you can probably guess, all this red is meant to connote blood. When these ashes are burnt down because they came from these red things, in the context of the Old Testament, it's supposed to be like powdered blood, okay? Kind of like powdered milk except powdered blood because blood was the stuff of cleansing in the Old Testament culture. Blood was not just cells and hemoglobin. Blood was the stuff of life. The life of a creature is in its blood, says Leviticus, right? The power of life, the power of God, is in the blood of a creature. So blood is the thing that cleanses. And so when you sprinkle these ashes, it's like you're sprinkling them with blood. Which brings me to my second point. There's a kind of convenience function here. And I, I don't mean to be glib when I say this, but this gives you a good, this is a fair description. The ashes of the red heifer are like the instant coffee of the sacrificial system, okay? It's God is making it easy for his people to get cleaned. Every time you get contaminated or dirty, you don't have to go find an animal. You don't have to go through the business of slaughtering it. You've got this instant blood and you just need to go to the priest and you can be sprinkled on the third day and the seventh day and you can be clean. So there's no excuse for not following through with this. God is making it easy for you to be cleansed. Third point. If you really want to understand what this, ceremony is aimed, what this ceremony is doing, you have to understand exactly what this cleansing water is aimed at. The ceremonial washings and the ritual cleansings of the Old Testament are aimed at something different 
than the atonement offerings that we talked about last week. The atonement offerings, the scapegoat, what are they aimed at? They are aimed at sin and guilt. Your moral failings. You commit a sin, you need that guilt to be atoned for. And the blood of the goats in the atonement offering washed away your sin. This ceremonial washing is different. It's not aimed at sin. When you're ceremonially unclean, you just touch something. It wasn't necessarily a moral failure. It's a moral failure if you don't get clean. But just touching it isn't a moral failure. This ceremonial washing is aimed at a different enemy. It is aimed at the enemy of death. The sin offerings, the atonement offerings are aimed at sin. The ritual cleansings are aimed at death. Think about all the things that can contaminate you. Flaky skin. Skin diseases were viewed as a sign of death. Decaying molds viewed as a sign of death. The bodily emissions that could make you unclean were both associated with the birth and the death cycle, associated with death, and of course, dead animals, and most powerfully in this passage, dead bodies. Death is the enemy that ritual cleansings are aimed at. Now, of course, sin and death overlap, but you can distinguish between them. Already in the Old Testament, there was the distinction. We know that that's distinguished in the New Testament. Paul often talks about these two enemies that Jesus has come to confront. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Already in the Old Testament, there were two-pronged attack against these ancient enemies of us human beings. And these are our enemies, sin and death. Sin and death are the great miseries of our existence. Now let's go back to the modern secular person. Modern secular person could hear everything I've said in the sermon so far and say, well, that's really interesting. That's a neat anthropological study. Uh, You've really done a nice job of explaining why they did it that way, but it still has nothing to do with me. This is still ancient mumbo jumbo. We are way beyond that. But are we? I went online this week, and I googled anti-aging treatments. These are treatments that are very much aimed at death, stopping its encroachment. I got some really interesting results. According to an article in Real Simple magazine, this is a very common magazine, many of you probably heard of it, it's sort of a household magazine, Real Simple, published last year, March of 2021. Here are some of the things you should consider putting on your face to reduce aging. Snail mucin, that is the slime trail left by snails. The magazine claims that Uh, It has reparative properties that hydrate the skin, reduce inflammation, and support collagen production. If you don't like that, uh, you could try red algae, more precisely called uh, red seaweed. Red algae is rich in antioxidants like beta carotene and can allegedly contribute to skin brightness and elasticity. And you can buy it online. You get a little vial like this, it's only $105. If red algae isn't your thing, 
you could try bird excrement. I'm not making this up. The droppings of the Japanese bush warbler are rich in uric acid and guanine. And uric acid is supposed to have a plumping property, and guanine will give you, and I quote, a shimmery, glow-like appearance. And last of all, the magazine suggests, and I left this one for last on purpose, and if you think the red heifer stuff is ancient and barbaric, listen to this. The magazine suggests you could try something called a vampire facial. And that's where they draw your own blood and you slather it all over your face. The treatment is supposed to spur collagen synthesis and boost skin texture and tone. You see, death is still an enemy for all of us modern people. We are still terrified by its contamination. And everywhere you look, people do strange and foolish things to ward off its power. They put bird excrement on their face, or worse, they have midlife crises that led, lead to the dissolution of marriages. They undergo risky surgeries just to look better. They perform elaborate and completely exhausting exercise rituals where they contort in all kinds of worship positions. A little red heifer dust mixed with water is nothing, nothing compared to what modern people do to ward off the encroaching power of death. Modern people don't think in terms of ceremonial uncleanness, but they feel the contaminating power in other ways the graying of the hair, the wrinkling of the skin, the cracking of the knees as you get up from a sitting position, the dulling of the senses, the presence of names that you know in the obituaries. There are a hundred ways in which we hear death's footfalls behind us getting closer and saying to us, sometimes softly and sometimes loudly, I am going to get you in the end. We know there is only one way to defeat the encroaching power of death, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the Old Testament, God gives the, the, the ceremony of the red heifer as a way to remind the Israelites that he has the power to cleanse them from the threat of death. That ceremony is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who doesn't just temporarily cleanse you, but who defeats the power of death and washes us clean. And when you see Jesus walk this earth, you see him come into conflict with that uncleanliness of death, right? What does Jesus do when he walks the earth? You can see him taking on this old enemy. He touches the lepers. He touches the unclean beggars. He walks up to a dead widow's son and he puts his hand on the corpse he should never have done. He does these things, but death does not contaminate him. What happens when Jesus touches these places where death lives? Death does not contaminate him. He contaminates death. The widow's son rises. The leper is cleansed. Death flees before Jesus and falls back in confusion and defeat. And all of that comes to a head on the cross. Jesus 
spends his whole ministry pushing against death, and death tries to lash back by swallowing Jesus. But when death swallows Jesus, Jesus gives death a fatal blow and defeats his power forever. In one of the great ironies of history, death tries to tear Jesus apart, and death thinks that when Jesus' blood spills out of him to the ground, that that will be the end. But instead, the blood that flows out of him to the ground becomes the very thing, the very thing that makes all things new and washes us clean. We Christians still struggle with death. Even though we know that Jesus has defeated its power, we still struggle with death. Death doesn't have the power to, to hold us, but it has the power to scare us. And it does. Especially as we get older. We can feel its approach, and it feels like we just hear more about it. Another friend who has stage four cancer, another person whom we love who's got dementia, another person whose health is suddenly failing, Death makes a lot of noise. And even though it's beaten, it can make us afraid. When the Israelites were touched by death, they had the ceremony of the red heifer to cleanse them and reassure them. What do we have? What do we do that is analogous to that today? I was thinking about that this week, and I think what we do is we come here. This is roughly the equivalent. What we're doing here, worshiping, is roughly the equivalent of the ceremony of the red heifer. Every week, we get touched by death's power. Every week, we get intimidated by death. Every week, we feel worn out by the things that we see. And we come here, and we're reminded again, Jesus loves you. Christ is risen. He has washed you. Don't be afraid. Every week. It's actually remarkable that that people come back every week to hear the same thing because, I mean, we do. We say the same thing week after week when we stand up here. It's the same sermon, just framed different ways. It's the same message over and over again. But you come back week after week, and some of you come back twice in one day. Why do you do that? Because because out there is hard, and death growls. When you come here and you hear that news again, it's like you've been washed clean. And so tonight, I wash you again with the hope of these words. Jesus loves you. He is risen. Don't be afraid. Amen. Lord, you know that all of us are fighting death on some front. All of us in this room are fighting death on some front. And and it's tiring sometimes, Lord, and discouraging sometimes. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for this hope that is stronger than our fears and stronger than our strength. Thank you for a salvation that does not depend on our wits or our wisdom. Lord Jesus, we take refuge in you. We receive your strength. Send us out on your paths to do your work. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.